0: This morning, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to two different passages. The first one from the Old Testament, Isaiah 11, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 10. And then in the New Testament, Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. Reading first of all from Isaiah 11. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the wean child shall put his hand on the alder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day the Lord will will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathras, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. That concludes our reading from Isaiah 11. I now invite you to turn in the New Testament to Philippians chapter 4. Just a few verses, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the Word of God. Amen. Thanks be to God. Church family, we live in a world of unprecedented knowledge, technology, and potential. What used to take us a tremendous amount of effort and labor and time is now available at the push of a button on a computer or even a voice activated command on our cell phone. And one would think as a result we would be far more content and satisfied than ever. But such is not the case. Studies indicate that advanced technology often means that rather than making our lives easier, we're merely able to pack more and more into our lives, which then results in greater feelings of anxiety, depression, insecurity, and exhaustion. And these emotions often carry over into the Christmas season. We know that Advent should be a time of joy, joyful anticipation. And yet all of those last-minute rushing to, to buy and purchase gifts or to set up for the party that we're having or to attend all of the Christmas performances All of these things most certainly elevate our blood pressure. And it makes us difficult to rest and reflect on this Advent season. Last week, as I mentioned to the children, Pastor Dave introduced Advent. And he gave us, I believe, a very reassuring message. A message about the hope that we have... In Jesus Christ. Today our theme is peace. In the following two Sundays after that we'll look at joy and then love. Now on an intellectual level we fully understand that these words do characterize the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. For the coming of Jesus we have the greatest gift of hope and peace and joy and love that is ever possible. And as we reflect about it, it is of epic wonder and profound astonishment that God, the creator of this vast universe, would clothe himself in human flesh to make atonement for our sins. And so we believe and we teach that amazing truth. We teach it to our children in Sunday School. It stands at the center of the Bible studies that we have. Hopefully, it underlies the foundation of each and every sermon as well that is preached from this pulpit. We know intellectually that truth that God came in Jesus Christ to pay the price for our sins. And yet, in the deeper recesses of our hearts, And as we consider our fundamental convictions in our inner being, we sometimes wrestle with allowing that reality to truly settle in. In fact, we need to intentionally do what Mary did, as it's described in Luke 2, verse 19. It says, Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. So this morning, I invite you to do some pondering with me. The first challenge that we face is trying to understand what peace means. From a broad perspective, and of course, I went to Webster's Dictionary. That's a good place to begin with definitions. Peace means a state of not being at war or being calm. Or not being quarrelsome some of the other resources I consulted added a little bit to that and said that peace means a sense of safety in other words we can't experience peace if we don't feel safe perhaps you've already heard or know that the Hebrew word Shalom translated as peace Refers to more of this comprehensive feeling of well being and settledness. In the Dutch, maybe it's the word gezellig. Life is good on all levels physical, emotional, and spiritual. Now, that's the overall concept that I believe is being conveyed to us in Scripture. When the Bible speaks of peace, specifically as it is given through the Messiah in the Old Testament, it suggests that there is at work a power that is transformational and life-altering. Look at Isaiah 11, the passage that we just read, for example. God's message to his people uses that word peace to convey so much more than just an absence of war or a sense of calmness within, or even the feeling of safety. One commentator summarizes Isaiah 11 with these words. He says, the root of Jesse will unite and heal everything in this world that has been broken and separated. Those who once were aggressive, hostile, and violent will live together in the harmony that only Jesus Christ can give. Let's look at Isaiah 11. Let's consider it. During this time in history, a time of captivity and exile, God's people are told that there is a king who will be coming. And this king who is coming will reign with justice and equity. Earlier, Isaiah says, people who are living in darkness will see a great light. This light refers to the coming Messiah. And the very first verse in Isaiah 11 gives us this visual of a tree stump. It's a tree that has been cut down and right where the tree has been cut down on the stump there's a small sprout of life that's coming out from the old root system and this was God's way of conveying to the people of Israel that they had comfort and hope he had already pointed them that pointed out to them that they had sinned he had already allowed the other nations to bring them into exile, many of them were already facing that reality. And yet, there's the hope of the coming Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. This prophecy identifies Jesus as a shoot from the line of Jesse. Remember, Jesse was the father of King David. And although his particular descendants would eventually be cut down, which the tree represents, it will again have a sprout that will bring new life. And again, this idea conveys the fact that the Savior would come as a small and tender child, just like a young shoot or branch. Elsewhere in the Bible, Jesus is is referred to as the son of David and referred to as a sprout or a branch. Without a doubt, he is referring to Jesus as the promised Messiah. He goes on to give us some qualification that Jesus has that will help him to accomplish his mission. First of all, we're told that he would be spirit-filled. Now, that doesn't mean that the other leaders were not filled by the Holy Spirit. They had received the Holy Spirit. But Isaiah is saying this coming king, this Messiah, will stand apart as one whose life is lived in constant communion with God the Father. The power of the Holy Spirit will rest upon him completely, the prophet Zechariah identifies the Holy Spirit as a dispenser of God's supernatural power. In chapter 4, verse 6, he says, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Paul also agrees. In Colossians 1, verse 19, he says, For in him, referring to Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased. To dwell. Isaiah in our text speaks of different ways in which Jesus will be equipped by the power of the Holy Spirit. We find it in verse 2 The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Wisdom and understanding bring discernment. Counsel and might refers to Jesus as one who, is, who shows empathy and who has the strength that's necessary to relate to, to understand God's people. Knowledge and fear of God means he will be one who will humbly walk before God, in reverence, trust, obedience, and worship. So, the coming Messiah will be completely equipped to be the Savior who brings peace. Moving on to verses 4 and 5. We're told that the coming Messiah will rule with righteousness. Of course, that's in contrast to the earthly kings who did not do so. Jesus will judge by truth injustice and oppression will be addressed and in every way he's able to execute perfect justice in all situations so the message is this when Jesus the root of Jesse takes the throne God's righteousness will shine forth one commentator writes he remains true in everything in every promise In every judgment, he's the type of king in whom we can trust fully and to whom we should listen always. He won't lie. He won't fail. For righteousness is his calling. It is the belt that he wears. He will rule with righteousness. And then Isaiah tells us that the coming Messiah will rule in peace. So we look at those remaining verses in chapter 11. Some people have gone into great detail to predict what it's going to be like when Jesus returns. But I think it is merely giving us a visual of what God's kingdom will look like that there will be a restoration that peace will be established on every level even amidst the wild ferocious animals they will live in harmony that hostility and conflict and divisiveness and discrimination will no longer fill the hearts and the thoughts of people that destruction of land and property will no longer occur So this is the Prince of Peace that Isaiah speaks of. Then we move on to our passage in the New Testament in Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. And here the Apostle Paul is taking this idea of Jesus as the Prince of Peace and applying it to how he can reign in our hearts and lives even though the believers at that time in Philippi were suffering great persecution for their faith, and were addressing disunity that was created by false teachers, there is always a way to find peace. So Paul says we are connected to God in prayer. That's what brings us peace. Verse 6 says, do not be anxious, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Present your requests to God. Unceasing prayer is what gives us peace. It's a need for us as believers. Our lives are so busy, and especially during this time, so often we get lost in all of the noise we feel strained it's hard to focus we're distracted and so the peace that Jesus offers us is centered in our lives through prayer Richard Foster in one of his books writes does not every cell within you cry out for God's continuous presence do you not crave an increase in God's love God's joy, God's peace, God's power. My bet is that a little prayer sprinkled here and there is simply not enough. You long to burn the eternal flame of devotion on the altar of perpetual prayer. That is what gives our hearts true peace. And Paul says there's four different ways in prayer as we offer our petitions our thanksgiving our requests so special times set aside to worship time for devotion also presenting our needs to the Lord pouring out our hearts for his help and then offering our gratitude and praise to God for everything that he has done for us and finally as we present All of the specific burdens that we have on our hearts. Prayer means sharing with God throughout the day. In special times as we gather. For the needs that we encounter. To express thanks and gratitude. And for everything that comes our way. And so the peace that we experience, Paul says, is rooted in prayer. It's through prayer that we truly are connected with God. And when we are, it bears fruit. Our minds are then fashioned after Jesus Christ. In verse 8, it says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellent excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Paul, again, is admonishing us toward godly living. And he's telling us that our minds are such powerful tools Our minds can be used for wonderful spiritual blessings or our minds can be used toward evil ends. One commentator put it this way. He says, you are not what you think you are, but what you think you are. The truth of the matter is that what we think is what we aspire to become where we keep our minds focused is where we are that our thoughts shape our behavior what we do reflects what we think so paul says when you have jesus christ as your lord and savior and you receive the peace that he gives you are made new through the power of the holy spirit and that means our minds need to be focused. Whatever is true, the Greek word means real, genuine. Whatever is noble, that is honorable, respected. Whatever is right, that is honest or fair or proper. Whatever is pure, in the Greek it means pure, spotless, undefiled, and free from impurity. Whatever is lovely, meaning that which is pleasing and kind and gracious, opposite of being mean and reactive and critical. Whatever is admirable, that is of high quality, Paul summarizes if anything is excellent or praiseworthy think about such things focus your mind on those higher ideals know the truth and then our minds will be fashioned after the likeness of Jesus Christ and the only way we can truly experience that deep level of shalom of well-being in our lives is when Jesus Christ is our peace. Verse 7 reminds us of that fact. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Truly that is the peace that we strive for even though we live in a world of discord a world of violence a world that continues to have wars and disagreements even in that setting Jesus Christ can be our true peace that's why Paul states so clearly and joyfully that peace is given to us in Jesus Christ since we have been justified by faith we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ may you indeed truly have peace this Christmas season let's join together in prayer our Father in heaven we come before you and give you praise for your goodness for your kindness for your love that the true gift of peace is found in Jesus Christ peace that reconciles us with you we who were once alienated because of our sin and disobedience that through the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ we have been set free and we now can look forward to an eternity with you in heaven. What a joy that is. We give you praise for that. And may that peace then influence all of our actions. And as we interact with others, may they see the peace that Christ gives shining through in our words and in our actions. O Lord, may we be focused on peace because our Savior is the Prince of Peace. In Jesus' name, amen.